Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We take a deep dive into Psalm 24. In this sermon, we learn that the psalm is a liturgy of entering Jerusalem, returning to the temple, and the people ask to see God's face. Has God's face changed since Jesus came as Messiah? You're listening to Lift Up Your Heads, O You Gates, by Reverend Peter Yonker. As promised, our Bible reading tonight is from Psalm 24. Psalm 24, that well-known song. Please turn with me to that psalm. And I encourage you to leave your Bibles open, uh, because early in the sermon I'll refer back to it, and I'll kind of go through it again, and you'll see why keeping your Bible at hand will be useful. Let's read this psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's do a deep dive. Let's dig deeply into Psalm 24 tonight. I hope you like that kind of sermon, and if you don't, well, you should. I think many of you know that um, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, is considered Israel's songbook. So when we say that the Psalms are Israel's songbook, what we're saying is they're a little bit like our hymnal, okay? They are a collection of texts and hymns and liturgies that shaped the worship of God's people, whether that was private devotion or whether that was public worship. That was Israel's hymnal, and they lived every part of their life before God with those words. And I think you know the Psalms are the kinds of words that there's something for every part of your life. And just like our hymnal, there are certain Psalms that were made as liturgy for specific, loca- uh, for specific occasions. So in our hymnal, we have baptism liturgies and Lord's Supper liturgies and profession of faith liturgies. So in the Psalms, you have Psalms that are set aside for specific events. So, for example, Psalm 72 is a coronation psalm made for the coronation of an Israelite king. Psalm 30, if you read the superscription, if you read the the little title line, is made for the dedication of the temple. Psalms 120 to 134, I think you know, are psalms of ascent, which means that they were sung by pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem for one of the great festivals. And if you study carefully Psalm 24, you'll realize that Psalm 24 is also one of those liturgical pieces. 
You can use it and read it anytime, obviously, but it was written for a specific occasion to be used at a specific liturgical occasion. What is that occasion? It's an entrance liturgy. And specifically, and scholars are pretty much completely agreed on this, it's an entrance liturgy for the Ark of the Covenant as it comes back into Jerusalem and the priests open the gates of the temple so that the Ark can be brought back to the temple. If you read the Old Testament and you know it well, you know that sometimes Israel did take the Ark of the Covenant out, often sometimes in battles. And so this text is written as a text to be used when that ark is brought back as a symbol of the king of glory, right? The ark was the place where they pictured God seated. The king of glory may return to his temple. And when you realize that that's what it's for, when it's that kind of liturgy for the return of the ark, you can, you can go back to the psalm, which I'm going to do in a second, and you can kind of see almost a responsive reading you can almost imagine and see that different players in this procession would have had different parts. There's a back and forth between the pilgrims as they come into the city with the ark, the warriors coming back from battle, and the priests who would be in the temple. So open your Bible and, and look, at, look at it, and, and we'll go through it, and you'll, you'll be able to see how that might go. So the warriors come back from battle, and they're tired and they're, they're exhausted, and they long to be in the presence of God. They long to go to the temple to worship, to have their soul refreshed. And so as they get close to the temple, they sing their processional hymn. It's almost like what we do at the beginning of church. When we start, when we come into church, the first hymn that we sing, our processional hymn, is a generalized praise to God for his power and goodness. And that's verses 1 and 2. The priests inside say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. And then the pilgrims, or the pilgrims respond, uh, for he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the waters. That's like their entrance hymn of praise, their processional hymn. So they sing that at the beginning and as they get close to the temple, the priest inside ask a question, which is almost like a call to confession. And that's that question I've already mentioned. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Ask the priests inside. And the pilgrims give the answer. Person with clean hands and a pure heart and who does not worship idols. Those are the people who can dwell in the Lord's presence. And the priests respond. You're right. Those are the ones who receive vindication from the Lord and blessing from him. And then the pilgrims respond and say, that's us. We are the generation of those who seek the Lord. We are the generation, we want to see the face of the God of Jacob. We are the ones here to come into the temple. And with that ritual back and forth, the actual entry begins. The priests turn to the ones who operate the gates and say, lift up your head, O gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. And they start cranking the gates and then they turn to the, the pilgrims again and say, who is the king of glory? And the pilgrims say, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. And the priests say again, lift up your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up your ancient gores, that the king of glory might come in. 
Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord almighty, he is the king of glory. And all the people come in, carrying the ark back into the temple of the Lord. I hope you can picture it. Now I have to admit, I don't know whether this was exactly who spoke when as they entered. I'm somewhat speculative on my part. Scholars don't know exactly who said what, but they do agree that it's an entrance liturgy for this occasion. And this gives you a sense, maybe helps you picture how that might have looked. I want to note two things about this entrance liturgy and what is in it. First, notice that it is very strong on God's power and his might. That opening hymn that they sing, the first two verses, Talk about God's lordship over all creation and his conquering of chaos, right? He founded the earth upon the waters. He took the waters of chaos and made them into something beautiful. And then that sense of God's power really comes through in the title that the psalmist uses for God. It's one of the official titles in scripture that is attributed to God. You see that in verse 10, and that is the Lord Almighty. Did you notice, if you look at verse 10, that both Lord and Almighty are capitalized in the New International Version, right? It says the Lord Almighty. And that's because this is a rendering of one of the Hebrew titles, the Hebrew names given to God. It appears more than 200 times in the Old Testament. Like Psalm 46, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If you go to Psalm 46, you'll see the Lord Almighty in caps. That is a translation of two Hebrew words, Yahweh, Sabaoth. Yahweh, Sabaoth. Yahweh means Lord, as you know. Sabaoth is derived from the word for warrior, and it means hosts. So it's the Lord of hosts. It's one of God's official titles, one of the ways he's addressed. And it's a picture of God as the host, surrounded by the angel hosts. It's a warrior God leading his armies against his enemies. It's a title for God you find in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, right? Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same, and he shall win the battle, right? Warrior. In his translation, The Message, Eugene Peterson renders that title as God of the Angel Armies. Okay, so it's that same picture. It's a warrior God surrounded by all his angels going into battle against his enemies. So this very strong picture of the strength of God. Second thing to notice, that the pilgrims who return long to see God's face. They long for deep communion with him. It's interesting, in the Psalms, there's kind of three levels of communion with God that you see in the praise of God's people. Sometimes the psalmist will praise God for the works of his hands, Psalm 8, when I consider the works of your hands, the sun and moon that you created, what are human beings that you pay attention to them, right? You know that? That's the psalmist praising God for the works of his hands, singing something that God made with his hand and exalting him for it. That's level one. The second level is sometimes you'll hear the psalmist not just praise God for the works of his hands, but for the feel of his hand. It's not that they just saw something God did, but they actually felt God's hand move in their life. Psalm 18, verse 35. You make your saving help my shield. Your right hand sustains me. 
So not a work of God's hand, but the actual push of his hand. That's level two. The third level of connection sought by his people in the Psalms is the deepest. And that is the longing to see his face. When you see God's face or seek his face, you don't just want to know his power and his help. You want to know his character. You want to commune with him. You want to be united with him. You want to know that his face is turned towards you and flashes a smile of recognition when he sees you. That's the deepest level of communion of all. And that is the level sought by these warriors at the return from the battlefield. We seek your face, O God of Jacob. As the pilgrims came back, carrying the ark of the Lord from the battlefield and sang this psalm and expressed this desire to see God's face, I wonder what they thought God's face would look like if they saw it. I wonder what they would expect to see if somehow miraculously the heavens were parted and God showed his face to them. My guess is, based on the language of this psalm, they would expect to see a mighty warrior, the God of the angel armies, a face of one who dashes his enemies to pieces like a potter's vessel, a face of one, in the words of Psalm 18, who shoots his arrows and scatters his enemies, a face like one specifically described in Psalm 18, smoke rising from his nostrils and fire from his mouth, the God of the angel armies. Of course, none of the people singing Psalm 24 as they entered into Jerusalem would ever have seen the face of God. The Old Testament people generally did not get to see God's face. There's only a couple of instances in the Old Testament where someone sees God's face. One is Jacob under the cover of night when he wrestles by the fords of the Jabbok. And the other is a strange story in Exodus, wonderful story in Exodus 24 where the elders of Israel go up and they eat with the presence of God, and it says they see his face. But generally, Old Testament people don't get to see God's face. And these people, Psalm 24, singing this psalm, never saw his face. A thousand years later, the king of glory does show his face to the world. Jesus Christ comes to this world, and we see the face of God in Jesus when I read Psalm 24 today and then think of Jesus as revealed to us in Scripture, I imagine a scene in my head. We're all in Jerusalem. We're standing on the inside of the city wall in front of the gate of the city. The gate is closed. And we're all excited. We're the big throng. All the people of Jerusalem, we're all there. You're there too. And we're all excited because we know the King of Glory is coming. We know Jesus is coming. And so we're singing. And Jesus is coming and, and we're saying the words, we're just, we're doing the actress We're saying, be lifted up, you ancient doors. Lift up your heads, O gates, that the king of glory might come in. And then with a rattle of chains and the creaking of wood, the ancient doors start to be lifted up. And there he is, the Lord of the angel armies. But he's not some chiseled warrior with a square jaw. He's a peasant carpenter. And he's not surrounded 
by hosts and hosts and legions of mighty angels. He's, he's by himself. And he looks small and vulnerable. And he's not carrying some great weapon of war. He's got a heavy cross on his shoulder and he bent under its weight. And then there's his face. The face that we've been seeking. There's a warrior's determination in his eye. There's a fierceness in his eye. It's unmistakable. But it's not the smoke and the fire of Psalm 18 that strikes us. It's something more terrible than that that strikes us. Because his face is the face of love. Half ruined by suffering and fierce with joy. A love that has seen every terrible thing that every human being has done to another human being, has weathered every atrocity, has borne the burden of every sleepless night, has been worn and worn and worn by the sins and the miseries of his people and still loved through it all. The gates continue to open until they get all the way to the top. The crowd falls silent. And as it does, we hear a voice, and I think it's Pontius Pilate's voice. And he says, behold your king. And the silence continues as we wait to hear the reaction. It's not good. We choose Barabbas, some of us shout. And those of us who are discouraged by the weakness of this Lord of the angel armies, we shout, we have no king but Caesar. We want a more efficient power. And finally, all of us cry out, crucify him, which is what we do. But even this affront is not enough to stop the determination of his love for us. Did the original writers of Psalm 24 have any idea what glory looked like when they wrote about the king of glory? Do we have any idea what glory looks like when we sing our songs about the glory of God? Do we have any idea of the depth and the fierceness and the persistence of the love of God for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and what he has borne for us and for our salvation? I do not think so because he is more than we could ask or imagine. Yet he continues to open gates for us. This peasant carpenter went all the way down into death. He descended all the way to hell, and he stood before the gates of hell, these great gates of evil. And he must have looked incredibly small before them, but the gates of hell would not prevail against him. One drop of his blood was enough to dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And someday, it'll be us standing before a gate, the gate of heaven. I don't know if heaven actually has a gate. Actually, if you ask me to give my opinion on that, I don't think there's a real gate there. But in some sense, we will be on the threshold. It'll be our time to enter. And we will remember the Psalms that we read tonight and the standard of entry, clean hands and a pure heart. And we will know that we have neither of those. But just as our guilt starts to rise, we will hear a voice from inside 
a voice that we've never heard before but known our entire life. And that voice will say, lift up your heads, O ye gates, be opened, you ancient doors, and let this little child come in because he belongs, she belongs to the king of glory. I shed my blood for that person. I clothed them in my righteousness and they belong to me. And then the gates will open and we will see his face. Who is the king of glory? The Lord Jesus Christ, strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. Amen. Lord God, we, we fall silent before the mystery of your love. And we come back to this place week after week, um, twice on Sunday for many of us, Lord, because this mystery is the, the, the hope of our life, Lord. Your grace, your love for us, your persistence with us, your ability to overcome what we cannot fix. This is our hope, Lord. This is why we're here, to praise you for your goodness and to be your people. In Christ's name, we give you thanks. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.